Well, if you're uh, a regular attendee, you know that we're hoping and praying that you're reading through the New Testament in a year. Is God answering our hopes and prayers? <laughs> a little scary to ask that question. Well, if you have been reading it, you'll know in the past few weeks we've been working away through a lot of Paul's epistles or letters. And just want to encourage you, when you do read them, realize Paul's writing them to churches. They're just letters to churches, dealing with issues, dealing with problems in a church, encouraging them. And one of the things I noticed, especially this last week, as I was reading through <coughs> some of Colossians and Ephesians, First uh, and Second Thessalonians, uh, did I say Philippians? I can't remember. Galatians. Reading all these letters, I noticed something that I really hadn't noticed before uh, quite as clearly is Paul repeats himself a lot. And I thought it was really interesting as he's writing to all these different churches, he kept encouraging them in similar things specifically, and he kept addressing certain issues and exhorting them in certain areas especially. You know, and I was once told a long time ago by Pastor Ken Lundin, he says, when, when God says something once, it's really important. When he says it twice, you need to really listen. When he says it three times or more, it's time to really grab a hold of that because he's serious about it. Well, when Paul writes these things to the churches and mentions it over and over and over, obviously it's very important to Paul, and therefore it was very important to God. So the title of my message this morning is simply, Walking Worthy of God's Calling. Walking worthy of his calling. And I'll probably date myself a little bit, but there was a movie that I kind of liked. It was, a, 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 um, what's Hank's first name? Tom Hanks. The memory issue deceives my age too, doesn't it? It was a Tom Hanks movie. It was called The Green Mile. How many of you watched The Green Mile? Oh, good. So Phil, you know what I mean. Well, kind of one of the early scenes in the movie, The Green Mile, it's for those of you that didn't, they're, they're prison guards on death row. And one of the scenes in the opening is the, the truck pulls up, the paddy wagon pulls up, delivering a new prisoner for death row. And it's kind of a little bit humorous because they look at the truck and the truck is sitting on its, the springs are gone. And the guy that gets out of the back of the truck is this mountain of a man. He's a great big muscle-bound guy, and if you watch the movie, it was kind of a little wimpy guard with him that you learned to really dislike in the movie, which has nothing to do with my story, except for this little guy is walking him across the prison yard, and he's walking him too, and he keeps repeating something over and over and over, and what he keeps saying over and over it is, dead man walking, dead man walking, dead man walking, dead man walking. Dead man walking is a phrase that you hear about death row inmates as they're walking from their cell to execution. They're dead men walking. Dead man walking is a phrase that has other uses in our culture. Sometimes you might even hear, you know, in the business world, you don't need to worry about him. You don't need to listen to what they're saying anymore. They're a dead man walking. They've already received their pink slip. Dead man walking. In the sporting world, if you're a sports fan like I am, and the Vikings play today, is that the game Chris was referring to? Okay. For you that still haven't been delivered, I guess they do. But when the players cut, it's almost like they got the plague. Stay away from them, dead man walking. It's like you can catch the disease or something. Dead man walking. 
Sometimes dead men walking don't even know they're dead men walking. And that is really true of people that do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They are nothing more than dead men walking. You and I, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, at one time you were a dead man walking. Dead man walking simply means it's someone who is about to face an unavoidable loss. And until we know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are already condemned. And our destination is hell for eternity. We are dead men walking. And that person on death row, by the time they walk out of that cell and they're walking to the execution chamber, whatever it is, there's not a thing they can do about it. By that time, all appeals have been used up. They've, they've tried everything they can. And they're dead men walking. And for an unbelieving person who has not accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they are dead men walking. And there is absolutely nothing they can do in their own strength. There is nothing they can do to earn the way off of death row with the Lord. They're dead men walking. I want to read a couple of scriptures. In Ephesians 2, starting in verse 1, it says, And you, speaking to the church, speaking to us, he writes, And you were dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which formerly you walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh, and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. The message one I wanted to put in there, and I don't know if it was up there while I was reading that. Go ahead and go to the message version. Here's what it says. It wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old, stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief. And then you exhaled disobedience. We all did it. All of us doing what we felt like doing, when we felt like doing it. All of us in the same boat. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with a whole lot of us. Walking according to the age of this world. Walking according to the course of this world. Walking according to the prince of this world. We may not know it. The world that doesn't know Jesus as Lord and Savior doesn't really have a clue. If they've heard it, they don't believe it. But there is a power of darkness. There is an enemy. Satan himself is called the prince of this earth. And when we're living for the world, even though it might look good on the outside, we are living a life that is not bringing glory and honor to God. And because of sin, we are condemned. They're dead man walking. Walking according to the world. Just think about it. The world doesn't have a clue. You know, they're they're telling us how to live. Turn on your TV, listen to the radio, look on the Internet. The world can hardly wait to tell you how to live. It's changing everything that we know to be biblical. Telling us how to live. And I love in the message where it says we're filling our lungs with polluted unbelief and then we're exhaling disobedience. Walking according to the power of Satan. Living in the lusts of the flesh. As it said in Ephesians 2, in the New American, it said, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, of our thoughts. 
Our culture encourages us. If you can think about it, if you want to do it, go for it. Doesn't matter whether it's good, bad, or otherwise. Doesn't matter whether it's totally contrary to the scriptures or not, because they hold the scriptures with no regard. They don't know there's a God. If they knew know there's a God, they don't know the God of the Bible. And that's how we're living our lives. Whatever our flesh wants, we see it, we want it. And the scripture even says, beyond that, if we can think about it, we want it. And boy, our imaginations can get carried away. There's another mate or another woman or another man that I'd prefer over you. I want it. Go ahead. world doesn't care. Shoot. There's websites you can go on and find people to cheat with. It's okay. Hearty spirit that fills the earth today. What's the big deal? Let's just have fun. Let's live the life, whatever our flesh wants. And it says, by nature, children of wrath at the last part of that verse. If you study that verse where it says children of wrath, what it, really what it's saying is we are doomed. Dead men walking, doomed. Thank goodness Ephesians 1 didn't, or Ephesians 2 didn't stop there. In verse 12 of Ephesians, it says this, and it's not much better, and then we'll back up to some good news. In verse 12, it says, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, the covenants of promise, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. Dead men walking, separated from Christ. They don't know Christ. They've not accepted Christ. They've not believed who he is, and they've not believed what he's done. Separated from Christ. Excluded from the family of God, the family of Israel. Basically what it's saying is they're not members of God's family. They're aliens. We at one time were all aliens to the family of God. We were not part of his family. He created us to be part of his family, but because of sin, we were excluded. Strangers to God's promises. You know, when people that you talk to that don't think much of Christianity or they'll call it religion, they make fun of the scriptures. It's just an old book filled with rules and regulations. But what they don't understand, this book is full of the most glorious promises for people, for humanity that you could ever imagine. Without hope, that is our world today. Filled with fear, that is our world today. Looking for a place to belong, to fit in, that is our world today, and they can't find any of those things because the world doesn't have anything that will truly fulfill. Oh, we try, we try hard, we're going to party and have fun, hoping it lasts forever and it lasts until the next morning. We go out and buy all these new things and we, we work our tails off to get more money so we can buy more new things, just thinking that if I just get that, I mean, after all, it tells me on TV, if I own that, I'm going to be happy. We do everything we can to change the way we look because then we'll be happy. The Bible's clear. They're without hope, without God. And again, I'm glad verse 12 was followed by verse 13 14. When you look at the state we were in at one time, it was a state 
that none of us could ever escape from. You and I were trapped by sin. We were imprisoned by sin. And there was no way out. But, and now, start the verses that follow both those scriptures we just looked at. But God, but now. In Ephesians 2, following verses 1 through 3, where it tells us how dead we were, it says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. Not of yourselves. It's a gift. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works so that anyone could boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. But God. Man, when you get through with reading verses 1 through 3 and telling you how dead you are, you're ready to give up hope, and then all of a sudden you read, but God. And then verse 12, where it talks to you, we're without God, we're without hope. It goes into verse 13 and says, but now in Christ Jesus, You who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. We first need to understand and we need to address the issue of what Jesus did. We were totally separated from him, nothing we could do to get back in relationship with him. And if you're still in that state, and I believe when there's a crowd this size, there's always people still in that state. It is not about religion, it is not about good works. It's not about all the nice things you've done. It's about none of that stuff. It doesn't have anything to do with how good a person you are or aren't. It has to do with Jesus Christ and what he did. You're a dead man walking, and there's nothing you can do except Jesus went to the cross and says, by grace you are saved through faith. By grace, meaning you and I don't deserve it, we didn't deserve it, We never could deserve it, but he offers us the gift of salvation anyway. Jesus came to earth and died on a cross. God in the flesh nailed to a cross, took all the wrath of God on his own body that we deserved. He shed his blood and died like we should have. And he was raised from the dead three days later, which was God's stamp of approval saying, sufficient sacrifice. If you've never accepted, personally accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior in that way, you're a dead man walking. And don't walk out the door a dead man walking. He did all the work. He did it all. It's by grace. It's a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift. What good does a gift do you if you never take it, receive it? And here it's by faith. Man, you might say that sounds too easy. For you, it's easy. For me, it was easy. Ask Jesus how easy it was. It wasn't easy. You don't deserve it. You're a horrible person. Yes, that's all true, but that's not what's required. It says while we were sinners, while we were dead, that 
what we were and what we did does not define who we are. We can accept the gift and we instantly become children of God. And Paul is writing this to these churches over and over. And basically he says, God intervened. Dead men walking, but God intervened. You know, every once in a while we hear of a death row inmate at the last minute they receive a pardon. A judge somewhere says, no, I'm pardoning them. They don't have to go die. Well, Jesus is even better. He didn't just commute our sentence. He didn't even really just pardon our sentence. He said, you know what? What sin? When you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, he doesn't even see your sin. All he sees is what Jesus did for you and for me. That's all he sees. And thank God that's what he sees. When he looks at me, he doesn't see the way I lost my temper. He doesn't see what I did wrong. He didn't, doesn't see the thoughts that I thought that were ungodly. He just sees the blood of Christ. And that's how he sees me. And I say, thank you, Lord. And that's the gift that he has for all of us. Simply receive it. Why did he do it? Why did he do this? Well, it tells us. God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together. For by grace, he gives you a new life. New life. New life. He just doesn't take out a brush and some soap and clean you up. Because we'll just go get dirty again. He kills the old man. He says, the old man's dead, buried, gone. You're a new creation in Christ, a new life in Christ because of his mercy. Mercy and grace aren't the same thing. In his mercy, without his mercy, we deserved death. But by his grace, he gave us what we didn't deserve. His mercy overruled the sentence of death that we all had. For by grace, we received it. And then it goes on and says, We're a new life, a child of God, raised up with Christ and seated in heavenly places. That's a pretty good deal, especially when we look at what the world has to offer. Why did he do it? So that in the ages to come, it says in Scripture, that he might show the surpassing richness of his grace and kindness towards us. In the ages to come, not only just here on earth, in the ages to come in heaven, we are all going to be demonstrations of his mercy and his grace and his loving kindness and goodness forever. That's why he did it. Not because you deserved it. Not because I deserved it. By grace. We are no longer dead men walking. And the word to walk really is a Hebraism that simply means the way you live your life. The way you live your life. And he repeated it over and over. And I'm just going to throw up a few scriptures in the, from the Gospels, or the epistles, excuse me, that we've been reading. Ephesians 4.1, I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Ephesians 5.8, walk as children of light. Ephesians 5.15, be careful how you walk, 
not as unwise men, but as wise. Philippians 1.27, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Colossians 1.10, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Colossians 2.6, as you have received Christ Jesus, so walk in him. 1 Thessalonians 2.12, walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. 1 Thessalonians 4.1, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as how you ought to walk and please God. And that's just a few. Our walk matters. You know, if you were in adult Sunday school, we talked a little bit about this. It's by grace you are saved through faith. Nothing you could do. But our walk afterward matters. We are to walk worthy of the calling. Why is it a big deal? Why? Well, first of all, this new walk should be a natural response to the love that Jesus demonstrated towards us. Just natural. While we were dead and we were doomed, he provided a way of salvation. He loved us so much. A natural response. You know, have you ever met somebody, they're a pretty good guy or a pretty good gal, they're a pretty good friend, but you know, you know, don't know for sure. You know, you're a little cautious. And then something happens and they've got your back. And they step up for you. They jump in and they defend you. And man alive, when that happens, all of a sudden, your attitude towards that person is like, all right, I like this guy. I can trust this guy. We'll multiply at times an exponential number we can't even imagine, and that's what Jesus did for us. It's not just all talk with Jesus. He walked the walk to the cross. He suffered the wrath of the Father, and he suffered death on that cross for us should be a natural response. Why else? Because he took us from hopelessness to having a certain hope in Jesus Christ. The world wants hope. They've given up. Circumstances, situations, they've given up. You and I can walk up to them no matter what situation and say, there is hope. I remember a phone call I got a number of years ago from the person who responded to a little article. We always had a, if you need prayer, call this phone number. And I've hardly ever gotten phone number calls, but I got a call that one time. And I listened for a minute, and then I just said, you know what? There is hope. And it was like it knocked them over. They couldn't believe. There's hope. There's always hope. God gave us hope. We should love him. He gave us hope. Why else? Should we walk this new walk? Well, I could give you lots of examples in those letters of very specific things. Oh, he talks about drunkenness a lot. He talks about spiritual immorality even more. He talks about unity in the body of Christ. He gives lots of specifics in there as to why we should walk this walk. And when he does this, the interesting thing is when most of us, if there's that little bit of rebellion still there, we hear it like God's given us orders. And really what we miss is he's telling us what will bring greater blessing into our life. Get away from that. Get away from that. Don't go there. Why would you do You know how we are as parents if you've had children? Man alive, we can trip the rebellion trigger at them that quick when we tell them not to do something. And hopefully in the back of our mind is we're, we're not just thinking, don't you dare do that. We're thinking, oh, please don't do that. I know what's going to happen. I know the consequences. I understand. I've been there. 
and we'll go, well, they're not going to listen to us. We're too old. We treat God the same way. Look how old he is. He knows what's best for us, and that's what he wants for us. Those are some of the reasons why. And probably the example that I, 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 in my mind anyway, that's so important is to be a living, breathing testimony of the goodness and redemptive power of Jesus Christ. You know, we've got a number of new people that have come to the church in the last few years. And this happens to me often. Some of you were the ones they were asking me about. The conversation will come up and they'll mention somebody or I'll mention somebody and they go like, what? They go to church? They go to your church? Because we're a weird church, right? You know, if you take the Bible serious, you're a weird church. And they go to your church? I go, yeah, isn't that amazing? Wow, I wondered. I wondered what happened. Golly, they seem different. And inside, I am so excited. I'm hearing that, that you know, you, that's the redemptive power of Jesus Christ. That's what he can do in a life that accepts the gift freely. Oh, I love hearing that. But you know what I hear way too often? They go to your church. You know what they're doing? I saw them. They were so drunk they couldn't walk. I saw him walking out of a bar, and it wasn't his wife he was with. I heard him get lit up at the restaurant, and you should have heard what came out of his mouth. Believe it or not, people can hardly wait to tell me that. Seriously. A lot of people don't want anything to do with the things God can do. Why should we walk the walk worthy of God's grace? Because you and I become children of the Most High God, and we are a living, walking, breathing testimony of his redeeming power. What should it look like? What should it look like, this new walk? I wrote in my notes one word, and I put it in great big bold letters in all caps. You know what it should look like? Different. Different than a dead man walking. Different. Walking like Jesus does not look like walking like the world walks. If our walk isn't different, there's something wrong. It won't be perfect. It won't be perfect. And some of us are just starting that walk. And God knows that, and we need to give grace to one another, so we know that. But it should be different. And the longer we walk with the Lord, the more we mature we come in our walk with the Lord, the more different it should be. As someone, I heard someone say it should look like Jesus. Exactly. The Bible tells us we are being transformed from glory to glory, more and more into the likeness of Christ. That should be our goal. Wow, what a big goal. How are you doing? I don't do so well. Lots of times. But as we go on, I want to read a couple of scriptures. In Galatians 4, start, starting in verse 4, it says this. When the fullness of time came, that means when Jesus decided to come to earth, the Father sent him. It says, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, and we might receive the adoption as sons and daughters, you could put in there. Because you are sons and daughters, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. 
Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, joint heirs, an heir through God. In Colossians 1, going back to verse 9, it says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, Paul's writing this. He says, Since the day we heard of your church, you people, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and you may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to the glorious might, so you might have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The walk that we walk is as a child of God should bear fruit, good fruit, in everything we do. It says growing in the knowledge of God, renewing our mind. We get tired of hearing this, I know you do. And every time I say it, I'm convicted too, so I'm not just picking on you. How do you renew your mind? By the word of God. If we are not reading and meditating on the word of God, we are not preparing ourselves to walk worthy of the calling of Christ. We are not going to be able to stand against the snares of the devil. We need to be reading, studying, meditating the word of God. He says, growing in the knowledge of God. I would add through his word and spirit. It is a big task, but you notice that scripture, you maybe didn't catch these words, but I really like them. Being strengthened with the power, the spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit living in me. There is no way I can walk a walk worthy of my calling and my own strength. None. None. And God knew it. And Jesus knew it. And he said, when I go, it's good that I go because when I go, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and it's going to be better for you. We have the Holy Spirit living in us who will guide us, who will teach us, encourage us, strengthen us as we surrender more and more and listen to the Holy Spirit being strengthened with all power. Most of you are probably familiar with Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 through 25 because it says to us that we should bear fruit in every good work. Now, I'm not going to punish us by listening to the verses that preceded that in Galatians 5, 19 through 21. But if you want to start contrast, go ahead and read verses 19 through 21 of, of chapter 5. It tells you what the life in the flesh looks like. But then it comes to verse 22 and it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and, oh yes, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh or crucified the sinful nature with his passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. We get exhorted in Scripture to crucify your flesh. We need to do it every day. We need to take authority over our flesh. We need to cry out to the Holy Spirit and surrender afresh to the Holy Spirit every day, crucifying that flesh. That's what it looks like to walk the new walk. 
I'm going to close with one last scripture. Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2. How should we walk? Imitate God in everything you do because you are his children, dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He, offered, he loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. I believe when we live our life walking that new walk, surrender to the Holy Spirit, everything you do is an act of worship. Everything about our life becomes worship. And it ascends to God as that sweet aroma. Let's close in prayer. Lord, I thank you and praise you that you have given us the Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you and praise you more than anything that you sent Jesus to be a sacrificial substitute for me, for each one of us. And Lord, that you do give us a grace to accept the gift by faith. Lord, I pray right now for those that are sitting here that have never accepted. Lord, I pray you are just drawing them by your Spirit. Right now, they're accepting the gift. Acknowledging that they can't make it or do it on their own. But you are the way out. Lord, I pray your love would just overwhelm them. How much you love them, no matter what the world's told them. How much you love them how much you care for them, how many good things you have prepared for them. Oh, Lord, I pray that the hardness of the world would be broken by your love, even right now. And Lord, I thank you that you've given your Holy Spirit to help us walk this walk worthy of your glory, worthy of the gospel that we have been called to. Lord, I thank you that with every day we have new opportunities to do the things that you've called for us to do. God, your word says that before the formation of the world, you've had a plan and a destiny. You've prepared works for us to do. Lord, I pray that as we do these things, it bears great fruit. Lord, I thank you that in Christ there is no condemnation for those who believe. Lord, I pray that nothing I said this morning would condemn anybody, but draw us closer to you. Acknowledging in greater ways the power of the blood of Jesus and the redemptive power of your Son. I pray now, Lord, that you would watch over us as we go our separate ways, protect us, keep us safe. God, I pray that you would provide divine appointments to share the good news of the gospel, that we might share the hope that we have in Jesus Christ with those we come across. In Jesus' name, amen.